forgotten condoms can break. Some women want to conceive in the near future, some never again. So for lots of different reasons, for lots of different people, there are lots of different contraceptive options. But do we know enough about these options and do we talk confidently enough about what we need? Bayer, with a strong heritage in contraception and female health, are on a mission to help educate us all find the right option to fit our lives. With the relaunch of MyContraception.ie, a dedicated website full of everything we need to know. I'm Sinead Moore from Everymum, and in this five-part series supported by Bayer, I talk to four sensational GPs to better understand our bodies, our reproductive health, and the range of contraceptive options available in Ireland. Plus, specific episodes all about the right options if you've just had a baby or if you know your family is complete. The opinions shared in this podcast are those of the individual healthcare professionals and are intended as general information only and not intended to replace a consultation with a healthcare professional. Nor is it intended to provide specific medical advice. So always speak to your doctor or nurse for personal advice about you and your needs. In this final episode of the series, I explore what the best options are when you know you definitely don't want another baby and what is happening to our hormones in our 40s and 50s with Dr. Rachel Mackey, author of the Women's Health book, a comprehensive and informative guide to female health. Owner of the Women's Health Clinic in Dunleary, a member of the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynaecology, having completed three years of training and three years of research focusing on the menopause, Dr. Rachel Mackey is a leading voice in female well-being and the perfect guest for answers we can trust on this final episode. When the baby years are behind us and we know that our families are definitely complete, but our cycles are still on track, ovulation is still happening and pregnancy could very well occur. Couples are seeking foolproof contraception options that not only prevent a late surprise pregnancy, but can actually also benefit their overall well-being in the long run. Dr. Rachel Mackey, you've written a book about women's health, are a member of the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynaecology and opened the dedicated women's health clinic in Dunleary. And so you are a phenomenal source of information and guidance for women as they seek out these contraceptive solutions. Thank you for joining us in this episode to talk really about what we should be considering and thinking about when we know our families are definitely finished. So how at risk are women and in this age group of pregnancy? Well, there is always a risk of pregnancy right through your 40s. Um, the, the fertility experts will tell us that over the age of 45, the risk of getting pregnant using your own eggs is, is almost zero. Um, but the pregnancy risk is still there. And although it's, it's decreasing year on year from 40 right up until the menopause, there is always a risk there. Um, what we do recommend to patients is that they use their periods as a guide. And under the age of 50, if they are continuing to have periods, even though they are infrequent and irregular, they cannot completely ab abandon contraception until they haven't had a period for two years. The same goes over 50 if they have, but for only for 12 months. So if you over the age of 50 and you haven't had a period for 12 months, you can safely abandon contraception at that point. But in the presence of irregular cycles, even though you might be wildly perimenopausal, you are still at risk of pregnancy, albeit the risk is very, very small. So what in your line of work, meeting all of these women, 
What do you what do you see? What are women coming to you um, about most likely in this age and in this life stage? Well, what they tend to do is they tend to come along and um, to have a conversation about uh, contraception, having made that crucial decision with their partner that they no longer want children. Um, and they're really not very aware as to what they might be eligible to have. So what I tend to do is have a fairly detailed conversation with them about all of the options that are open to them. And really, in most healthy women in their early to mid 40s who have completed their families, they are eligible for almost most forms of contraception. And and I'm sure it's been alluded to before, but a, a major uh, part of that is the combined oral contraceptive pill. There's this big myth out there that women over 35 aren't suitable for the pill. And in fact, it's an incredibly suitable form of, of contraception for women. But what's very important when you have that woman in front of you is not just to confirm with them that they're finished their family, um, but also to tease out, are there any other coexisting issues with them? So and this is something that creeps up, um, you know, really, I would include 35 onwards. That's when um, the hormonal cycle is still very much strong and going well. But what happens is that your highs are much higher and your lows are much lower. So whereas when you're in your 20s, everything is beautifully controlled, when you hit 35 and really when you hit 40, your cycle tends to be much more exaggerated. So ovulation becomes an issue, ovulatory pain, whereas no women had ever dis uh, um no woman had ever experienced it before they hit 40 and um, suddenly ovulation becomes a pain, literally a pain that they have for two or three days mid cycle. So uh, breast tenderness becomes an issue. They've never had breast pain before. Suddenly for a week before their period, they're in agony. So all these are just indicators that that hormonal changes are there. The cycle is still perfect. It's still exactly regular, but their their hormonal levels are fluctuating much more. So that conversation is very important to have because that really does um, indicate what direction we should be going in in terms of their contraception. So, for instance, if premenstrual syndrome has become a massive issue and it is a massive issue and there's an awful lot of women out there who are putting up with it. Um, and what are this? What are the symptoms? Symptoms of that specifically. So physically, the symptoms I find personally that that physical symptoms are much less um difficult for patients but that would be bloating weight gain um breast tenderness and mm -hmm. um, but the psychological symptoms mm. are devastating so they can be extreme mood swings horrendous anger issues and um, you know they really feel like they're screaming at mm. their children and they feel awful about it um, and it puts a huge strain on everybody at home and then they wake up one morning their period is there and they just think oh my god that Jekyll was and Hyde situation yeah so it, it really does completely kick different. In. You, and I know that it, it's easy to sometimes you hear a lot of um, it can be jokes around PMS. Yeah. But it shouldn't be. It's an actual oh, problem. No. It's a hormonal problem. It's impacting women severely. Absolutely. And it shouldn't just be, oh, here she goes with her mood swings. No, because, I mean, it starts off for a day or two before your period. Really, by the time you hit your 40s, if you are going to be one of those women who suffers very badly for it, it actually starts at ovulation. So you're looking at 12 to 14 days of extreme symptoms. And that's of your of the month. That's every month. Weeks, every so that's month. half your year. Yeah. You're in a bad mood or you're feeling these emotional distressors and you don't have to. Absolutely. So I would see an awful lot of women and... This is kind of uh, they have been driven to me because of these extreme mm. symptoms. And of course, it turns out that they are finished their family. They've no intention of getting pregnant, but they're not using contraception.
They're using, maybe they're using condoms, maybe they're using nothing. So it, it, it's a great opportunity to have that conversation. You do need contraception throughout your 40s, but there's absolutely no reason why you need to put up with that. Because what we're learning throughout this series is that contraception, although yes, primarily is used to prevent pregnancy, it isn't the only purpose for it when it comes to our hormonal balance and well-being. Absolutely. I mean, the pill is incredibly useful on so many different levels for so many different medical conditions. And premenstrual syndrome or its much more sinister sister premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is a psychiatric diagnosis where women are completely um, out of control during their premenstrual phase. Um, you know, it is the number one treatment for that. It is the medically indicated treatment for that. So that's one example. So of it's like a medicine. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. for that. Absolutely. And um, how often does that um the psychosis that you said, how, how it's frequently a, it's is a that? a very small percentage of women who come in with PMS. Okay. But I would on a regular basis see women who are flirting on the on this more mm. severe end of that. You know, I mean, they really are very scared by their own behavior um, during the premenstrual phase. They really feel like they need to get away from their families because they just don't feel like their families should be exposed to them. So mm. it's massively disrupting for them. And they just don't know that there's a, such a simple treatment out there. And, you know, this myth about not being suitable for the pill over 35, they just assume that that's not even a, a runner for them. And what's that about? Why is there that because basis there, of there, that myth? There is, a, there is a, a, um, a guideline, a very good guideline that states that if you are obese or uh, and and or a smoker over 35 or if you have any associated medical conditions like diabetes or blood pressure which often go along with obesity then you are not a suitable candidate for for the the combined oral contraceptive pill which contains estrogen because of the increased risk of stroke and cardiovascular events and um, but the vast majority of women don't fall into that category at okay. that age group. so it's about those additional issues it's not to do with just the age absolutely barrier absolutely not so the pill is indicated right up to the age of 50 and in fact can be used in the latter 40s for control of menopausal symptoms very nicely too um, because it's an estrogen supplement and um, but in particularly with pms what it does is it puts the ovaries to sleep it stops ovulation this is even appropriate if a woman knows that yes she does want kids again but not in the next two or three years absolutely i mean you know what tends to happen with pms is um it tends to be something that women if they experience it in their 20s in a natural cycle you can be almost guaranteed they're going to have horrendous problems going forward really so there is a natural um history to hormonal disruptions. So the same women that get PMS get a rotten menopause because wow. they are just much more sensitive to the hormonal fluctuations. So if you've got a woman in her 20s who maybe starts having babies late 20s, she will get hideous PMS between babies. Um, so it's absolutely appropriate for those patients as well. Once they stop breastfeeding, then they need contraception. They need to be on something like the pill because that really controls their hormonal fluctuations better than most other forms of contraception. Is there anything linked in genetics? Is there anything that if you could looked at your, your mother's menopause, is there any indication to say that you would have similar? It's anecdotal only, but because I deal with so much uh, in terms of, of, of hormone control or endocrinology, I definitely see it. You know, patients will report that their mothers had a terrible time or their sisters had mm. a bad time. So, no, nothing definitive, mm. but you would certainly hear that in family histories. I think it's really important to know. So I'm 35 and I would never have really considered looking out for those things yet. Yes. I yes. just would have assumed that's 
That's a new problem for later. I'm still yeah. trying to deal with the baby stuff. No, I, I find I find mid 30s is when PMS, if it's going to become a big mm. problem, it will start in your mid 30s. I definitely noticed it when my periods returned after having my baby. Yes. That, and I, I put it down to probably tiredness and overwhelm and all of the other aspects of this new lifestyle. Absolutely. And the first few cycles after a baby can often be a little bit off in terms of, you know, hormonal production. Um, but really, you know, within six to nine months of, of return to your periods, that's when you would start to notice it. Yeah. It would be pretty consistent. And it's going nowhere other than downhill. It never gets any better. You don't suddenly click out of it. That's brilliant because so I think we as women we struggle. Yeah. We we just put up with stuff. Yeah. And we think like that's just normal or everybody's doing this Absolutely. or there's or you something pick wrong. Up a magazine and the magazine says, you know, if you take your vitamins and you exercise and you eat well and um, then, you know, PMS it will will dis- magically disappear. And it does help enormously. Don't get me wrong. Lifestyle. Lifestyle balance is important. Does help. But there's a certain hardcore of patients and they have run themselves ragged trying to do the lifestyle modification and it's not working um, and they really do need help. So if then your patient is kind of saying, well, actually, no, we are definitely we have our we have our children and um, we for various reasons know for sure no more. What what are the next kind of points in that meeting or that conversation or consult to to help her decide what's the right option. Sure, sure. So, I mean, what what we should do is we should lay out all the various kind of long-term uh, reversible contraceptives that we know of. You know, heretofore, historically, people would have, you know, requested maybe, you know, oh, I'm definitely finished. I want to have my tubes tied. There's a risk associated with it. And it's not reversible in case people do have a change of mind. So so long term, long uh, acting reversible contraception has really transformed permanent contraception, if you like, or long term contraception in your 40s. And um, fantastically, you know, the, the, the take up rate of vasectomy tragically is much lower than it should be um, for reasons that we won't go into. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's appropriate to have these conversations. So we did a piece of research with our community just to learn more about their own practices and their own decision making on this. And what struck out was how low even the conversation around future vasectomy was. Yeah. You know, the couples really aren't even even entertaining a conversation on the would you though you know yeah. when we know we're finished yeah would you I know it's it was very much it? oh I've no idea we've never spoken about it yeah I know I, I I can't really explain why that is I mean you know obviously there is the fear of having a procedure from the male perspective but why women don't initiate that conversation more often I don't know maybe they just feel they've always taken control of their own contraception you know, they've always had that power to do that. Maybe they just feel this is something that they want to have ultimate control mm. over themselves. Mm. But in reality, vasectomy is such a great option, you know, it from, from a female point of view. I mean, there are obviously always going to be reasons why we would want to use, intervene with hormonal interventions for women in their 40s for medical reasons. And we do that anyway. Um, but from a contraceptive point of view, it's a pretty easy way of controlling that. But it just doesn't happen very often. And it falls back on, on the woman to take control of that. And and things like hormonal coils have made a huge difference because we are using them more and more for this conversation that we have for women in their 40s. Mm-hmm. So they might come in and they say, we're absolutely finished our family, but I also have horrifically heavy periods mm-hmm. or I have very painful periods. 
um, or, you know, for I'm feeling exhausted, you take a blood test and their iron level is in their boots and you have a conversation about their periods. And it turns out that that since their last baby, you know, they've been using, you know, super Tampax and two pads at the same time and maybe not leaving the house for the first two days of their period in case it goes through their clothes. And, and they again, think that's just normal. putting up with stuff. Absolutely. They don't talk to anybody about it. Um, because aside from the PMS symptoms that we spoke about, about how they escalate, what's happening with our periods as we're aging? Do they typically get get lighter or more regular or heavier? They do typically get heavier. Now, yeah. there will always be the lucky ones who escape that. And they, you know, they don't. What does tend to disappear is painful periods. So if you have a woman in her 40s who suddenly develops painful periods, you really do need to look into that quite closely. That's not normal you know, the the process of having pregnancies does tend to get rid of period pain. But because the womb has been stretched over the years with one or multiple pregnancies, the the the, the surface area of the womb is bigger. That and makes therefore sense. The, the flow tends to be heavier. So, yeah, periods do tend to get heavier as as they go on. And as you said, 40s. there's a knock on impact to women's iron levels. And Absolutely. therefore energy levels. At the time that they're supposed to be at their busiest, um, they're often walking around with with suboptimal iron levels, which they don't even realize. You know, everybody talks about being anemic. In fact, very few women are anemic, but most women who are menstruating heavily will have an iron level that's registering in the very low range. And that is enough to cause extreme fatigue rather than having to dip down to anemia, which we don't see that often anyway. But more importantly, it's just something that we don't have to put up with. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the hormonal coil will enable that rebalance. The way that it works is that it's inserted into the cavity of the womb and it releases the progesterone hormone every day. And what that does is it prevents during a normal cycle where the the, the lining of the womb is, is being stimulated constantly, what happens is that the progesterone in the coil stops the lining of the womb from generating. So it remains thin. And then when the hormonal signal comes to have a period, there's very little lining to come out. So it either translates into no periods or an incredibly lighter version of what they had before it went in. So that makes that makes great sense. So it's, it's just not building up. And absolutely. Which is why so there's it, just less it, coming it's out. The number one question the patients ask me, where is the blood going? Yeah, yeah. Where is it all going but to? It just isn't being generated in the first place. So the lining of the womb goes from being really thick pre-period to being paper thin. And that's why there's no bleed or very little bleed. So their own cycle is continuing as normal, which a lot of women like. They like the highs and lows of the cycle. Maybe they're not having PMS, so it's not an issue for them. But they don't want to be on something like the oral contraceptive pill where everything is flatlined. Mm -hmm. They quite like the, the highs and lows of a cycle, but they just don't want to get pregnant and they just don't want to have the heavy period at the end of each month. And how does that differ then to the copper coil? So the copper coil is uh, is also a good contraceptive. So it really is only useful as a non-hormonal option to the hormonal coil because it acts as a good contraceptive. It's better than an oral medication because obviously you're not relying on the patient to take something every day. So there's no room for human error. But the problem with it is that the copper irritates the lining of the womb. That's kind of how it works. And that translates into usually heavier and more painful periods. So it's I personally don't use it very often for women in their 40s because we usually have a period issue to address. And we certainly don't want to put anything in that's going to in any way worsen that situation. So I tend to use copper coils in younger women who have a specific reason why they don't want to use hormones, but they want to use a coil. Of those who choose to use coils, the three highest motivations for women over 35 
are that they are long-term solutions which offer peace of mind, they are convenient to use, and positively influence their menstrual cycles by making them lighter or less painful. And how long do you advise then women use these forms? So if she's if she's doing it as, as a form of contraception as well, because she feels like she is still ovulating and at risk, yes. you know, in her 40s, but doesn't want to conceive. At what point do you think actually no, you're past the fertile stage? Yes. And it's no longer appropriate. Okay. So the rule is that if somebody hasn't had a period for more than two years under the age of 50, they are deemed that hate that contraception is unnecessary. Okay. If so menopause own, has happened. Exactly. And they're no longer, but it has to be for two years because they're that little bit younger under 50, because women under 50 can do funny things. They can throw out eggs unexpectedly after what we would consider to be a relatively long period of time. Hence the surprise exactly. sibling These that lots of babies. families have. Yes. Whereas over 50, if you haven't had a period for more than 12 months, you are deemed to be well and truly past the possibility of pregnancy. Um, so what we what we do is we use hormonal coils, but the situation is is unclear because maybe they're not menstruating at all. If they're menstruating on the coil, fantastic. We know exactly where they stand, but a lot of them don't. So it becomes trickier in terms of mm, knowing. Like how do you know if you're still having a cycle, if your exactly. cycle is being inhibited? Exactly. So we have a kind of a guideline that we use. So if you're, if your first coil, hormonal coil, or maybe just a replacement hormonal coil is going in over the age of 45, that is for the purposes of contraception, that is the last coil that you will need. If we are using it as an adjunct with hormone replacement as the progesterone arm of hormone replacement, then that's different. We have to keep that coil fresh and up to date every five years. And what you know, moving into this age and the different experiences caused by these hormonal fluctuations, um, we're really hearing more and more about that that menopausal date, that fa- finality is often the focus. But there is so much going on hormonally before that date, which is causing genuine symptoms for women with which they're kind of ignoring or they don't actually know to relate to the beginning of menopause. I, w- I would say it's it's lack of recognition for mm. sure because there's nothing out there for women to get their hands on in terms of information. They don't realize that actually what's happening possibly from the age of 45 onwards could be, could be a- quite accurately described as perimenopausal rather than just I'm having a dreadful time with my periods. They're all over the place and I'm miserable and I've got mood swings. That's the perimenopause. And it should be identified and addressed as that because that's a whole phase of the menopause that women don't realize that they're going through. And the problem is they may go to their local doctor and say, I think that there's something going wrong here. It just doesn't feel right. Um, And they have a blood test, the dreaded blood test, which we try and, and get that information out there not to do it, mm. um, but it still gets done. Um, and that blood test is almost always makes a liar of the woman because the blood test looks normal and the doctor goes, do you know what? You're not in the perimenopause at all. You're fine. And the woman and goes And what's off. that blood test looking for? Uh, FSH. It's looking for an elevated FSH, which is an indicator that you're perimenopausal. But the problem with FSH production, it comes from the brain. It controls the ovaries. And the the actual rhythm of the production of that hormone is on an hourly basis. 
So at any given time, your FSH is going to look normal. And I'm sure there are lots of women out there listening to this who've had this exact situation. Um, their doctor looks at the FSH and goes, nope well within normal limits you're not perimenopausal you're not anything and she leaves thinking she's just mad exactly barking mad so it's a it's a big uh, take-home message that Mm. we try and give gps at meetings do not do fshs there are some reasons why you would do it if you have a woman between the ages of 45 and 50 they have a hormonal coil in and they're not having periods definitely relevant to do one but again you would never dismiss those women's symptoms based on a normal level it's all about listening to the patient if a patient comes in, she has an irregular cycle, she have, has cyclical symptoms, in other words, symptoms that are more pronounced before their period, um, they are perimenopausal and you, you are really duty bound to try and help them without trying to prove it on a blood test. The typical story is women come in and they say, I have one good week a month. And what wow. that means is from ovulation to period, they're miserable with, with PMS slash perimenopausal symptoms. It's all the same thing. And then they have their period for a week. So that one, I have one good week a month, doctor, is the phrase that that should really send alarm bells ringing because that means that the woman is perimenopausal. It just sounds like there's a hormone chaos going on. A- absolute Between chaos. both, because yeah. it's still, you're still going through those heightened period PMS symptoms, but then also you've got this, you Absolutely. know, Absolutely. the early menopause the, kicking the in. The difference between the two is when the cycle changes, the actual cyclicity of the cycle changes. So that's how we know somebody's moving from the premenopausal phase to the perimenopausal phase. Their cycle is off. So it's either closer together, further apart. So we talked there about, so she'll recognize that her mood, her mood is changed over yes. the course of the month. There are definitive very highs and very lows. Yes. There's anger. There's frustration, there's impatience, there's yes. a, a, a sadness. Absolutely. I mean, people talk about just being joyless, um, mm-hmm. that they've lost that joy that they have. But then there are the physical symptoms. So even though somebody may just be perimenopausal and they're still having periods, they will still get night sweats and hot flushes, particularly in the run up to their period. So they aren't exclusively uh a treat for women whose periods are gone. They will happen in perimenopausal women. But what I do find is that the psychological symptoms are much more pronounced in women who are still having cycles. Um, and women often say, do you know, I, I loved when my period stopped because I can almost cope with the flushes and sweats because I know what they are and I know they're physical and I can deal with them. Mm. But I couldn't deal with the, with the psychological symptoms because I thought I was losing my marbles. And it's a horrible feeling for them. And because now we're having children so much later, your children are still relatively young, so they still need you so much in that age range. And your parents are probably still old or still here, but needs your support as well because Absolutely. they're getting on. You're you're still working. You're you've now responsibilities in terms of after school drop offs and homeworks and bringing to football and all these things. Yeah. It's an incredibly intense time. And all of this is now also happening. Absolutely. It's a completely new departure for us as women. It's a time that we've never had before. You know, in my day, you know, parents were uh, in their 50s and their kids were had moved out of home. So it, it's a completely different scenario. And in fact, it's very interesting because it's it's being demonstrated in our society because women are coming to child rearing late. A lot of them are having issues with low ovarian reserve in their late 30s. They may need IVF. They're having babies in their early 40s and then they become perimenopausal almost immediately. 
because their ovarian reserve was very low anyway. That's why they weren't getting pregnant. And so low ovarian reserve translates into an early menopause. So I can tell when somebody's come into me and they've had IVF at 40, 41, if they if they struggled with a low AMH or this ovarian reserve mm. marker, or maybe even they had donor IVF, which is becoming very common now. Um, I know that they're going to be perimenopausal in the very near future. Um, so we almost have the conversation before the symptoms arise because everything is being brought back so much earlier because of their ovarian reserve always being on the back foot. You know they're going to end up with symptoms earlier. Are there any other physical symptoms that are real identifiers that she might be feeling? Um, well, the, the their body shape changing and this acute sudden weight gain is hugely distressing to women. Um, and God, that, another another, another oh, smack. Absolute <laughs> beauty. Yeah. So oh they, my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, what happens is that as their estrogen levels start to become much more um, unpredictable, what happens is that their testosterone actually becomes a little bit more dominant. Okay. And so their body fat starts to redistribute around their belly. So, you know, you, you women come in and go, I have a spare tire. I never had one mm. in my life. Mm. And suddenly I have one. That is the perimenopause. Um, and they're At a way- time where you have no energy to go and exercise, you're feeling really low, so you might be turning to comfort foods. Absolutely. Just all around it's a, you, it's just it's a pain. Storm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what I tend to find is once we get patients hormonally balanced, mm. even though we say to them, you know, hormone replacement is weight neutral. It's not going to cause any weight gain or weight loss. But what it will give you is the energy to actually tackle this. Whereas before, when they're in this perimenopausal state, they have absolutely no motivation whatsoever. No, you've no drive. No. As you said, you've no joy. Yeah. So if you've no joy, you're not really going to take yourself out on no, a cold you can night. you see your body changing, but you don't have the energy or the interest to actually tackle it properly. I assume this is having real deep impacts on the relationship between the couples in this age group. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, men just do not know what's happened um, because their 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 female partners are unrecognizable at times, mm. you know, and and I do hear that over and over again from patients is that, you know, it's on their list, top five, you know, of problems, what's going on. You know, their relationship is crumbling because their their libido has dropped. They're not interested in sex. They've got poor body image and they're exhausted. So, you know, men feel completely shut out and, and their their female partners don't know how to express it. So it tends to be, to be the, the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about. So the real takeaway for me here is it's not just about is my family finished? It's how can I best support myself with what is inevitably going to happen biologically in my body. It's just another phase that really as women, we need to know a whole lot more about and be talking a whole lot more about. You know, I think only recently are we really getting into the the emotional and mental drains that are happening to women through pregnancy and postpartum. But this is an unspoken about whole other phase. Absolutely. And I think historically it was never spoken about because it involved you know, the, the dreaded word of periods. Um, and it was a phase where, you know, it, it, as you say, it's not it's not something that medical professionals focus on because yeah. once you're out of the hospitals with the babies, nobody's really interested in you. So I really do think it's been an incredibly neglected uh, part of our lives. Thank you so much for sharing your information and incredible wisdom with us today. I think I'm so encouraged to know all of this in advance. As I said, I'm 35. I feel now 
we can hopefully empower so many women to know more about what's coming and to do something about it before they feel like they it's just hopeless. Well, I I would have I would be hopeful that that is changing because I do see more and more women coming in um, and they've they've read around it or they've searched it on the Internet or much more importantly, they've had a conversation with their peers. P- women are beginning to open up and say, do you know what? I went to see this lady and she said that she can fix things for me and I'm amazing. Why don't you go and see her? So I think women are beginning to get better at being more open about it. Um, and I think the tide is turning. I think people are becoming more aware of the fact that particularly if a door closes maybe with their local doctor who's not interested in having that conversation they will go elsewhere they won't just take that they know that something's not right and they're happy to look elsewhere and are you thinking so if there's a a women's clinic somewhere in your area that that is really the place that can give you the best support and advice look there are plenty of gps male and female out there who are very open to that you know we would see that in the menopause community when we give lectures to gps we see that there are hundreds of women turn up but it's not as widespread as it should be so if you're getting what you need from your doctor fantastic but if you're not absolutely make your way to a women's health clinic because those are the people who have kind of dedicated a huge amount of time to that area so talk more learn more realize that this isn't just you going mad this is a chemical thing going on in your body that you can do something about exactly and i mean women know their bodies they know that there's something wrong and when they when they spot what's wrong they know that it's a hormonal problem they don't just think that it's tiredness. They actually have a very good insight into the fact that it's hormonal. So listen to your instincts. There's a lot of happy years after 45. So don't Absolutely. don't let that be the end of the joy. Exactly. Rachel Mackey, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I, I, I wish we could talk more because I feel like this is the beginning. This is the beginning of a whole new phase of us understanding this part of a woman's life and learning how we can support each other and ourselves through it best. I really hope so. Thank you so much. And that's it. If you've missed any episode in this series, head back up and learn more about your body, your fertility, your hormones, and most importantly, your options. Thank you for listening. We really hope that this show has supported you in finding out more about your body and how best to select the right contraception. You can find all the information relating to this episode by following the link to everymom.ie in the show notes. If you think others can benefit from this series, please rate, leave a review or share with us on social, tagging everymom or using hashtag MyContraception. For more expert information and support, MyContraception.ie is always available to you. This show has been created by Everymom, supported by Bayer. If you want to report a side effect or quality complaint for any contraception, please contact your healthcare professional or report them to the Health Products Regulatory Authority via the buyer.ie website.